Thank you so much for your word. And God, I'm just so grateful what you've been teaching me through this series, through the Ten Commandments. And I pray, God, as we look at your word again today, may your spirit just really lead us and guide us. Give me the words you want me to say, and may our hearts be receptive to what you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I'm going to have Robin come up, and what, we're going to, what we want to do is we want to, um, if you weren't here last week, and here's what I want to say also about this. This is summertime, and I'm up, when I'm up here, every, I, I notice every week, I go home, we're such a small church, I go home and go, who wasn't there? Da, 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 da. Not because I'm keeping, not because I'm keeping track, because, oh, I missed them. They weren't, they weren't here, you know? Uh, so in summertime, I know people are moving around like crazy. I want to encourage you, this series, and I think I can say this from up front, this series, All the Ten Commandments, has kicked my butt. <laughs> it really has. It really, more than I ever dreamed it would. So I want to encourage you because I know people are gone. I know a whole bunch of people are gone this week. Some people are gone last week. I want to encourage you to go back and watch the sermons or listen to them on the podcast because I'm amazing. No, because, <laughs> no, that's not it at all. It's at all because I've been blown away by what God has been doing through this, through this series of, of really just using me as a mouthpiece. So I just really want to encourage you to go back because also there's a very common thread, I don't know if you've picked it up, going through this series of how desperately sinful we are and how desperate we need a Savior that loves us and saves us. And what the, the Ten Commandments have done for me has reminded me of, oh my gosh, things that I didn't even think that were in my on my radar as far as what I need to be inviting the Lord to change and move. It's really helped me with that. So like I said, I want to encourage you, go back and listen to those and, and talk about them. Talk about, uh, I, I, last week's sermon, last week's sermon was probably the one that got me the most, um, probably because of your thing you showed us, but um, which we're going to do again today. But last week's sermon really got to me, and I've actually heard different people saying that that really convicted me, or that really gave, that really made me have a lot of questions. <laughs> last week's sermon opened up kind of a Pandora's box in some ways of questions for people, and you know we thought we were just talk about straight murder, but then we got into anger and resentment and bitterness, and so I want to encourage you talk amongst each other when you go out to eat. Have, have gospel conversations. Talk about the Lord. Talk about stuff you're learning and about this stuff because God is working. So I wanted to have Robin come up again because if you weren't here last week, I thought one of the coolest parts about last week was learning to memorize the Ten Commandments. And I got to admit, I was in my office this morning working on this sermon and I closed my computer, closed everything and went, all right, next week. What's next week? You know, so I, st I started doing things. So Robin, show us, ten, do the Ten Commandments. All right, so this is interactive. Go ahead and open your hands. We're going to start with one. The first commandment, there's only one God. Do not have any other gods before me. And let's say that together. Do not have any, any other, other gods God before, before me. me. Two, the middle finger is bowing. Do not create any graven images. Do not create any graven images. Three, go ahead and put this over your lips. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Four, because your thumb is uh, out of commission for four, you cannot write, you cannot pick up a shovel. This is honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor, honor the, the Sabbath, Sabbath day and keep, keep it, it holy. Five, go ahead and open up your thumb, put it above your head, Honor your father, father and, mother. and mother. 
honor your father and mother. Six, my kid's favorite, do not kill. Do not kill. Today we're learning about the seventh. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This is an extra person who should not be in your life. Do not commit adultery. Do not, not commit, commit adultery. adultery. Eight, go ahead and have your thumb, index, and middle finger. Open up your five. Do not steal. steal. Do not steal. Four and five, this is the ninth commandment. One is saying five. One is saying four. And Becky was saying the fourth one is hiding something. Do not bear false testimony or false witness. Do not bear false, do not witness. Bear false witness. And 10, do not covet. Do, do not, not covet. covet. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Good job, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, so great. Thanks, Robin. I feel like I was back in, remember that show Wonderama and different things like that when you're like learning all the hand back in Sunday school. I love it. I love it. Wonderful. Well, this morning in this study that we've been going through in the Ten Commandments, we've come to really what, as, as was mentioned, what, uh, we're going to be talking about committing adultery. But what I really see is this commandment is probably can be seen as the most personal, intimate, and very intimate, and really, when violated, the most painfully devastating of all the commandments. I really believe that. The Seventh Commandment says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, the conventional definition of adultery, I put up on the screen for you there, is voluntary sexual activity between a married person and someone other, someone, and someone other than that person, current, current person or spouse, current spouse or partner. Can't even read my own stuff. So that's what the conventional definition of um, adultery is. Yet the truth is that really adultery is really so much more than simply a, a physical act between two people. What You know what? What adultery really is, it's quite literally the contamination or the corrupting of something that was intended or something that was designed to be pure and to be undefiled. Okay? That's why I believe really a more, a more comprehensive, and number one on your notes, if you want to follow along, take notes in there. Number one is, um, I believe a more comprehensive or accurate definition probably is this, withdrawing from that special and unique relationship you have with your spouse and trying to have a similar special and unique relationship with another person. Okay, that takes it much deeper, doesn't it? It really puts more bite to it. We're going to drill deeper down into this definition as we go. Now, although the, the numbers are hard to come by, uh, most polls and different statistics uh, estimate that report that although 90% of Americans believe that adultery is morally wrong, one-third, more than one-third of men and around one quarter of women admit to have having at least one extramarital sexual act. And really, what's really unfortunate is that those that claim to be followers of Jesus, the numbers really are just maybe slightly lower. That's sad. That's really sad. Which tells me this is a powerful, 
powerful thing. Listen to one, one pastor and author writes. I love what he has to say. He says, the fact that this issue of adultery is pervasive, even within the church, makes sense. Since sex and marriage are two of God's greatest gifts, no relation can be as intimate, sweet, life-giving, and joy-filled as the marriage relationship as within the marriage, like, no, I'm sorry, no can be as intimate and powerful within the marriage relationship as sex. So of course the devil is going to go after sex and marriage. We should expect confusion, misunderstanding, perversion, and pain, not because sex and marriage are bad or not worth the trouble, but precisely because they are such good gifts. God's best gifts are the ones most apt to be twisted and perverted by the, by the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is a tough battle. This is a huge thing, and it impacts all of us. That's why it's so important that we understand not only the reason for, the, for this uh, commandment, but also the implications of the seventh commandment to not commit adultery. Because number two on your notes, the truth is adultery is an indication of what's going on at the very core of a person. It's an indication of what's going on at the very core of the person and the reality that every one of us here needs to be aware of the fact and of the ways that we can be made vulnerable to succumb to adultery. We need to be aware of these things. We need to understand the power that is in the sexual world that we live in and our sexual lives we have. And remember that sex is a gift from God, a powerful gift. I love why that guy said, and why wouldn't then? Why wouldn't the enemy go after that? Why wouldn't the enemy go after marriage and sex? Because it's so powerful. So let's look at why this commandment, let's look at it, why this commandment not to commit adultery is so important. Okay, a couple reasons. First reason, number three on your notes. First reason is that it, it's a betrayal and rejection of God's instructions which have been provided for our good. It's a betrayal and a rejection of God's instructions, which have been provided for our good. Look what Jesus had to say about the, about the marriage relationship as he quotes the narrative uh, uh, from the creation narrative. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. We see here that God, the author of marriage, says that, number four on your note, says that when a man and a woman come together in the covenant of marriage, and what that means is the covenant of marriage means it's a solemn, mutual, binding agreement. That's what that is, okay? When a man and woman come together in that relationship, they are so closely united that in his view, they are in a sense one person. One person. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4 tells us that even our bodies no longer belong solely to us, but to our spouse as well. It says, I can't claim that, no, my body's mine, your body is yours. No, they belong to each other now. I remember when I was considering getting tattoos not too long, a while back, um, my wife, her first reaction to that was, your body is mine. <laughs> 
I got them, but she said, because she allowed it. <laughs> Gonna have a talk this afternoon, I can tell. If you were in my house most Sunday afternoons, you'd be... <laughs> okay. And this, so, so he's saying that see, our bodies don't even belong to ourselves. So this is why sex is meant to be viewed, and, and, and understand this, sex is meant to be viewed as a holy and bonding act that's to be set apart for marriage only. That's why there's no gray in this area. There's none whatsoever as far as God's talking about sex outside of marriage. He's not just saying it just because, ooh, that's dirty. That's No, he's saying because there's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it, a powerful purpose for it, to bring a man and a woman together in this covenant and a marriage, an agreement that says, I'm, I'm with you, okay? Sex is meant to be viewed as holy, and set apart, it's in a sense, really, you could look at sex as this covenantal glue that unites a man and woman together, both body and soul. Really, sex is supposed to be a way of saying, I am yours and you are mine. I give myself willing to you completely, body included, body and soul included. See how this is already rubbing so against the culture, our cultural views of sex and so much of what's on all of the, the shows we watch and how casual sex is? God's not a killjoy. God is trying to make things something awesome stay awesome for us, for our sake. This is why adultery in the truest sense is probably you can be seen as the ultimate act of betrayal. It really can be seen that way. I know, to know what someone, I mean, just think about it, to know someone, another person, and to be connected to them in the deepest way, the way that it was meant to be solidified them in the deepest way. Adultery, what it does, it painfully rips apart that bond more than anything else, more than anything we can do. I said, you're mine, I'm yours, you're mine. And then we go and do something that glued that very thing together, and we go do that with somebody else. See how flippantly we think about sex? Now, I'm not saying this is easy, and I'm not saying that, I mean, this is why sin, our sin nature, all this thing is so power. Remember, because we've talked about this, the commandments like this one, like the other nine, they're meant to provide us with, with boundaries, or what do we call them? Guardrails, exactly. The Ten Commandments are to be seen like guardrails for our protection and for our freedom. They're protecting us and they're freeing us. And in this case, protecting and freeing us from the threat of unfaithfulness, of devastating pain, of hurt, of divorce, of bitterness, resentment, disease, all that. God, I don't want you to experience any of that. That's why I reserve sex for marriage. And that's why marriage is supposed to be with one person of the opposite sex for the rest of your life, because that's how I designed it. We live in a tough world. We live in a world of sin, though, and it really has impacted that for all of us. All right, I, I totally, absolutely lost my place. I'm getting too crazy and too wild. Okay, look, look at the advice that Solomon gave his son. Check, check this out. I love this. 
Drink water from your own well. You got to think outside the box here a little bit. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets and have sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts, yeah, that's what he said, let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? Thank you, Solomon, for saying it like it is. You made some big mistakes in your life, but man, thanks for this. Thanks for telling the truth that a boy, a son, needs to hear. He's saying that he should be satisfied. Really what he's saying is, Solomon, you should be beside yourself with the joy that is found in a monogamous relationship with your wife. That should bring you such incredible joy. And really avoid the temptation of giving in to immorality, which will lead actually just to what it's going to lead to. Sure, will it be fun at the moment? Of course. But it's going to lead to pain. It's going to lead to suffering. It's going to lead to be, here's my guardrail. Thelma and Louise. You know, that's, that's that's not how God wants things to be. All right, second reason. Second reason why the commandment to commit adultery is so important is number five on your notes, because God intended the marriage relationship to be a symbol of the loving faithfulness that Jesus has for his people, the church. And to commit adultery corrupts and tarnishes that symbol. I think this is definitely a point we usually don't think about. We don't think about the fact that what marriage is supposed to represent, what the symbol that it is. It's almost to be like this neon blinking sign to the world of what God's relationship to us is to be like. You always go, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, one of those ways to show people is to show them a marriage. Show them a godly marriage. Not a perfect marriage, but show them a marriage between two believers that are first and foremost in love with Jesus than in love with one another. Look what the apostle Paul says. Very familiar. I use this passage probably at every wedding that I do almost. Ephesians chapter 5, he says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother Hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So we're seeing here, we're seeing from this passage is that a wife's submission to her husband is meant to resemble how the church, how his people are to submit to Christ. You see, a godly wife is motivated to submit to her husband because he's always going to be perfect. No. A godly wife, a wife that is seeking Jesus, 
is going to be motivated to submit to her husband, not out of fear or compulsion, but because of out of love and devotion to Jesus. That's what's going to motivate her to be devoted to her husband, to submit to her husband. We can go down a whole long trail of what submit to that. Well, we'll see in a second here. Because how the husband loves his wife, on the other hand, is to resemble Jesus' sacrificial love for his bride, for us, which he gave everything for. Really, a husband's love for his wife should be sacrificial. It should be nourishing. It should be cherishing. It should be protective. I'm going to do everything I can to guard you. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you feel loved, that you feel protected, that you feel cared for, that if anything, you don't have to worry. I got you. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to run out on you. I'm here for you. That's what a husband's love is to be for his wife. Number six on your notes. So when a husband and a wife strive to to function according to God's purposes, his good purposes in a marriage relationship, not only do they experience the comfort, safety, and joy that comes with a marriage relationship, they model for everyone, including themselves, the picture of the life of the relationship God intended for Christ and the church. That's great motivation to work on a healthy, having a healthy marriage. Because a lot of times we say, oh, God, I want to be a witness to my neighbor. I want us to have a, uh, our neighbors to, or my friends or my relatives to even see Jesus in me. And our marriage is terrible. How's that possible then? You want to show them Jesus? Work on your marriage. Have a start. Do everything have a, you can to have a good marriage. So adultery, because adultery is such a betrayal, not only to the other person, but to God's instructions for how to have a, a relationship should function, obviously it's going to corrupt and it's going to tarnish this symbol that was intended to show everybody what Christ, the relationship between Christ and the church. All right, if those two don't motivate you, The third reason, the third reason why this commandment not to commit adultery is so important is number seven, because adultery is ultimately a matter of the heart. Like everything we've been looking at so far, all the commandments we've been looking at so far, it's a matter of the heart. Remember, I said last week, I said this, I said that God is far far more concerned with transforming our hearts than having us to simply learn how to do good and avoid bad behavior. Remember, we've called that sin management. God's not interested in sin management. He's not interested in that. He's interested in transforming the heart. Christians, are we get really good at sin management, don't we? I know I do. Look what I did. Look what I didn't do. But, my, but, it, but what's going on in my heart? Because eventually it is going to come out. Because I may remember I said the truth is that the condition of our heart, it determines the course of our lives. How are, what's going on in here is going to determine where our life goes. That's how God designed it. You can't have a corrupt and dirty heart and filthy heart and have things life work out the way that it's supposed to in God's plan. Because it's eventually it's going to spill out. It's like having that cup that's totally full 
you know, when they're full and, it, you know, and they bring it over, it spills over. It's the same thing. If our lives are just, our hearts are full of just yuck and bitterness and contempt and different things like that and lost all those things, eventually it's not going to take much for it to spill over. It's not going to take much at all. Remember, Proverbs 4.23, we said this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Remember, in this series, this whole series, we've been looking at the fact that with his coming, remember, Jesus broadens or Jesus really expands the meaning of the Ten Commandments. Remember, last week we saw that the whole idea was murder. He said, you've heard it said, don't murder. He said, remember, if he said, you've heard that, but guess what? If you're angry or you're resentful or you call someone names and really mean it, you're a murderer. I mean, he's like, oh. He does the same thing with this one because he knows it's ultimately about our heart. Look what he says about this issue in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, and I would say, and a man, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with them in their heart. Heart. Remember? See where he's going here? Heart. I haven't, see? Because we always say, once again, this is one of those commandments, like last week I said, murder. Most of us go, whew, I know I've never killed anybody. Same thing this one. A lot of us will go, whew, I know I've never, I know I've never committed adultery. I'm clean, right? I'm out of this one, right? Jesus says, mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's about our heart. Look number eight on your notes. Lust, he talks about look, looking with lustful intent. Lustful intent, it can be defined as intentionally or willfully dwelling on inappropriate sexually arousing thoughts and desires in order to obtain a feeling of pleasure or excitement. It took me a long time with a lot of different things to come up with that one. I wish I could have shortened it. But really, I believe this captures the essence of what lustful intent is. Intentionally or, allow, or willfully allowing is inappropriate. Whatever would be inappropriate, whatever should not be done with that person, okay? These sexually arousing or these desires or just getting this buzz, this sexual buzz, whatever it, it is to get that feeling, that's what lustful intent is. Proverbs 9.17 says, I love this, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Is it so true that so often the very things that are forbidden, the very things that will bring us, you know, like that are kind of tantalizing or, or titillating, those kind of things we think about, so often it's the very things that we know we shouldn't do and we're drawn to them right? Like, I know I shouldn't have watched, well, I shouldn't say those shows, you might watch them, but you know, I shouldn't watch, I know I shouldn't watch that because it kind of triggers certain things in me, but you know what? I, I like it. I, I wouldn't really admit, but I kind of, it, it takes me to a place that doesn't bother me. Actually, I kind of enjoy it. That's the kind of stuff he's talking about. The heart that he's talking about here. When he says it goes to the heart, it refers really to our most inner being. What Jesus is saying is there's more to adultery than simply an act of engaging in sex outside of marriage. He's saying that ultimately this issue is a heart issue and it begins with what we allow our minds to dwell on. 
What we, where we allow our brain to go, where we let it stay, where we let it wander, he's saying that's where it begins. Now, even though this kind of mental or emotional adultery, you know, it doesn't defile a person or break, necessarily break the marriage covenant like physical adultery does, according to Jesus, though, it's still adultery. And it requires a radical response. What was the penalty for adultery? Anybody know in the Old Testament? Stoning. Exactly. So obviously there needs to be a radical response to this. And look what Jesus says in the very next verse, how he says how important this is. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Wow. Be radical. Do whatever it takes. He's saying since, since it's a betrayal of all that God has meant for the marriage relationship, Jesus tells us be willing to take radical action because our hearts, no, our, our very lives are at stake here. Be ready to do. Don't become guilt like, oh, look what I did. Look what I looked at. No, no. Be ready to take radical action, whatever that might look like. Accountability, whatever it may look like. Do it. So how do we keep this commandment? How do we then as we're all sitting there going, you know, scarlet letter, you know, we're all, you know, we're all looking, thinking, thinking that. How, how then do we, how do we deal with then this important thing? Better yet, how do we deal with our propensity towards an adulterous heart? Well, I'm just going to give two ways, I think. Simple. Two ways, okay? First one, number nine on your notes. By making pursuing intimacy with God through his word our number one priority. Now, I know that sounds churchy. But it is by far the, mo the best guard for obeying any of God's commandments, especially when it comes to sexual purity, okay? Pursuing intimacy with God through his word. The truth is that none of us, no one is immune to an adulterous heart. Nobody. I don't care who you are. Look what the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't be thinking you got this. Don't be thinking that at all. He goes on to say, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. And here it is, that you may be able to endure it. So enduring. We endure not because we go, oh, don't, 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 don't. We endure as we apply God's word to every area of our lives, especially the area of sexual purity. We so compartmentalize, us Christians, we so compartmentalize God's word. And we, so many of us, since we've grown up in church, we've heard literally thousands of sermons. And we've read so much of the Bible. We've, we've known so much. But how much are we applying to our lives on a regular basis? This is why I'm so, you've been hearing my big trumpet for family and us being more involved in each one another another's lives. That is how we learn to apply the word of God in each other's lives, by talking to each other, by sitting with each other. That's one of the favorite things I do as a pastor is meeting with guys mostly throughout the week and just talking about life. Just getting together and talk about how the word of God is impacting their life, where they're struggling, and for, we pray for each other. 
That's one of my favorite things to do because I desperately need it. We all desperately need to apply God's word to our life. There's really nothing more important, nothing more pressing or vital to the condition of our hearts than applying God's word. When you leave here today, when you leave on a Sunday morning, do you strive to apply what you've learned? When you read your Bible, do you strive to apply? Do I? A lot of times I just go, done. But most of the time I try, I ask God, how does this apply to my life? Show me, God. Second way, all right? Second way to keep this commandment is being intentional about guarding our marriage. Be intentional about guarding our marriage, doing the hard work. Marriage is hard work. <laughs> if you're married, you know. <laughs> marriage is hard work. It's hard work of doing the hard work of, of communicating with one another, right? As believers, making sure we are praying for and with our spouse on a regular basis. That's so vital, so important. Keeping short accounts. When was the last time you were fuming at your spouse for days before they even knew about it? That needs to not happen. Oh, I saw a lot of elbows there. That needs to... <laughs> we, we need to be vigilant about keeping short accounts because those will undermine the, the, the intimacy of our marriage. We even need to be, work hard, and some of us guys especially work hard, be hard at being affectionate with one another. That's so important. So important. Don't forget the hugs, the kisses, the handshakes, the I love yous. Did I say handshake? I meant hand holding. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a talk. Yeah. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news and all. This. There is good news for the, the adulterous heart. There is good news. And really, the thing, place I think that it's found the best is in the story of the woman that's caught in the act of adultery. Remember that? She's caught in the act of adultery. It really ticks me off that the man got off scot-free on this one. But um, she's caught in the midst of adultery. The religious leaders grab her and they say, let's take him to Jesus. Maybe we'll, we'll catch him in something now. We'll catch him because we know that the penalty for this is stoning to be killed. And we'll see what this compassionate Jesus has to say about this. And hopefully he'll do something and we'll say, yeah, <laughs> you broke the law there. So they bring him, they bring him, remember? And then Jesus has that uh, wonderful line in there where he says, they all come to him, they ask him, they're waiting, probably going, oh, what do you got? And he says, all right, no problem. First, one of you, whoever, whoever has not sinned, you go ahead and you throw the first stone. You go ahead and throw the first one. If you're, whoever's without sin around, uh, any of you, if you're without sin, go ahead. I, I, I take your leave, go ahead and, and, and what does it say? That one by one, from the elder to the younger, Started walking away until pretty soon who was left? <laughs> Just Jesus and the woman. Remember Jesus and the woman. Then we read this. He says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, <laughs> she's probably crying her eyes out. No one, Lord. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. See the last thing on your notes there. You see the primary objective of Christ's coming wasn't to condemn, but to save. That's why Jesus came. His objective was to save. Remember the familiar words, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved 
the world. These are Jesus' words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, Jesus came. He bore our sin in order to provide us a way to be forgiven in order to be saved, saved from the power of sin and our rebellious and our adulterous hearts. As followers of Jesus, we no longer stand condemned. We don't stand condemned for our sin. To the adulterer, Jesus says this. He says, because of my work on the cross, you are forgiven. And in me is found the power to overcome your propensity towards a wandering heart. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you because I love you. All right, a couple questions. I know. First question, what are some ways that people allow the seeds of adultery to be planted? What do you think? What are some ways that people allow the seeds of adultery to be planted? The eyes, yeah. Expound on that. Yeah. Expound. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not very long. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Once again, it goes back to that that definition I gave. It's that willfulness, I'm willing to look even if to give me just a little buzz. Just a little, little, little something. Yeah. So yeah, the eyes, what we look at, you know, so much TV, movies, people walking by, all of it. Yeah. What else? Why in the world did you do that? Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 Wayne. Wow. Big time. That's a great one, Wayne. Secrets have power. Remember those three words. Secrets have power. Yeah. Confession. Confession has power as well. Yes. Yeah, Kath. Yeah, I cut out for time's sake. I cut a whole section I had on talking about that whole thing of being emotionally involved with somebody and how that can be so easy, so easy to happen, especially if the marriage has gone sour or there's difficulties, especially then. Yeah, good. What else? Anything else? Yes. Sure. Big time. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where that keeping short accounts comes in. 
If you're missing, if something's going sideways in, a, in communication, it needs to be dealt with immediately. Yeah. Good. Anything else you can think of? How we allow the seeds of adultery to be planted. Yeah. Especially, it'd be easy to talk yourself into, hey, you know, I should, I should have the entitlement. Yeah. Else has. Yeah. I want it. Yeah. Yeah. Vicky. No, I was going to go first. Okay. Oh, Carolyn. <laughs> Carolyn. <laughs> sure. Where you start thinking, well, you know, he doesn't treat me. He, she Sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so easy to do that. So, yeah, so easy. Yeah. Yeah, Wayne. Underestimating the power of the devil. I prayed today. I read my Bible today. I'm protected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. All right, next question. In what ways is adultery sin against another person? How is adultery a sin against another person? Breaking the trust. Breaking trust. Yeah, good. Yeah. What was that? Oh, I thought someone else. How else is adultery a sin against another person? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like we talked about earlier. It's, it's, not, it's yeah, and in a sense, you flip that coin over. It's not, it's not understanding the importance of that bond that we have. And taking that bond for granted, which is so easy to do, especially over time. Yeah. Anybody else on that? Yeah. Anybody? Okay. How sin? How? I mean, in what ways is adultery sin against God? Commandment. <laughs> We're told not to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but and specifically, too, well, how is, besides the fact, which is the number one, obviously, God said not to, but how, how when we, yeah. Well, he meant marriage to be uh, a symbol of the relationship, his relationship with the church. Mm. And um, when, we, when we commit adultery um, in any of its forms and levels, we are defiling that image of God in us. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, definitely. Kind of like what we got back to last, last week, talking about the image, how that we're all, every, hum, every single human life bears the image, bears God's image. Yeah, definitely. So we're saying, ah, it's not important. Yeah. One last one real quick. In what ways can intimacy with God protect us from an adulterous heart? In what ways can intimacy with God protect us from an adulterous heart? Yes, Carolyn. Respect. What do you mean by that? Yeah, we're respecting God's view of how he sees us. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah. Anything else other than that? 
Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah, Mike. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is a gr such a great point because that gets back to the whole idea that just because we're doing all the religious things doesn't mean we're intimate with God. Look at how many um, uh, pastors fall. We hear about it all the time, don't we? All the time. And it's because, number one, they, their, their relationship with God was not in where it needed to be. They were holding back from it. Yeah, Nelson. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah. I think three and four kind of go together. Um, in mm -hmm. three, you know, it, if, uh, it, hurt, it hurts God because I am looking outside of God to fill the need yes. yeah. that I have. So I'm taking it into yeah. my own hands yeah. to try and fill those needs. But in four, if, if, my, if my relationship with God is right and I'm getting my intimacy and I'm getting... Yeah, so good, so good. And once again, that's what, it, it takes a community to help us remember that. It takes being in relationship with other people that are following Jesus to remind us when life has gone sideways and my partner's just, we're just not there. And we have people coming alongside of us and encouraging, praying, all that. Yeah, so good. Well, we're going to move into a time of communion. <clears throat> and... Uh, you know, you would think after talking about adultery, then we go into a time of communion seems rather odd, but actually it seems rather perfect. Uh, it's a, another, once again, it's a great opportunity for us to remember what Jesus did for us, what he did by hanging on that cross. And he, when he broke the bread, said, this represents my body, the body that was given for you, my body, my very body. It came down in the human form, and my blood that was shed... So I would encourage you during, our, during this time, come on up. Their band is going to come on up right now, and they're just going to play. And you guys just spend some time with the Lord. We're, who are the prayer people, whoever the prayer people, will be over here by the cross. <clears throat> this is a time to, uh, if you would like to pray with somebody, just for encouragement, for whatever it would be, please um, do that. So when you come up, take the, take the cup. You can take it back to your seat. Whatever you want to do during that song, uh, this is your time to be with the Lord. Let me pray.